that would be um, a great conversation to continue in the, in the cafe. How many of you are glad you're alive? Anyone glad you're living in this generation? <laughs> Who would rather be born 30 years ago? You probably were. Who would like to be living 30 years ago? You probably were. Hey, I've just uh, spent um, my days off up in Wellington uh, with Sandra at, at the Arise conference. 5,000 young people gathered together. Unbelievable. The church of the future is in really, really good, ha good hands. Um, there were a few other than just young people there, but um, just so, so exciting to see the passion and to see the willingness to... I mean, what's being preached in these young people, are, they just don't stop. They just, yes, 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 while someone's preaching all the time from anywhere in the auditorium. Do you want to have a try? Yes. Yeah, now, now stand. Stand. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you have freedom to do that this morning as well. But, but what's being preached is, is, um, is that Jesus matters more than the culture, you know, um, Daniel in the lion's den, thrown in there because he went against the culture. He said, no, I'm going to be a Christian um, no matter what. So it, he ends up in there, but, you know, the rescue that takes place um, is just, they're amazing stories. And here's these young people going, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to stand for Jesus. Yeah, we're, not going to, we're not just going to take on what the world says, holus bolus. We're going, to, we're going to do what's right. We're going to stand for Jesus. So I just want to say to you, um, you know, what, what Arise is doing, I think there's 7,000 people in their church across New Zealand now. You're allowed to say, well, yeah. that's amazing. It's utterly amazing. John shared his story, and when you hear his story of his call and the way he just set his heart after God, you can understand why God has blessed him in the way that he has as a as a preacher, he's, he's just absolutely passionate. Um, it, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Arise Conference is going to be in um, Christchurch as well as uh, Wellington next year. So I really encourage all of us to be thinking about that, putting it on our, on our possible agenda for next year. Um, can we uh, just show a clip up here which just will help to zero us in with what I've been preaching on? Who am I? Am I what I do? An artist, an accountant, a teacher, a mother? Or am I what I've achieved? An honor student, an MVP, a winner? Am I the things I've done right? Or am I defined by the things I've done wrong? Am I a saint, a sinner? What about what others think of me? Am I all of these things, none of these things? Who am I? How I identify myself determines how I approach life. If I am what I do, I'll always need to do more and achieve more to find my value. If I am what others say, I'll always try to please people instead of my Heavenly Father. But if I listen to who God says I am and embrace His identity in me, I'll find the freedom to live out all He has planned for me. God calls me His child. He says, I am wise and restored, that I'm a brand new creation in Christ. I am chosen and holy and blameless before God. He calls me his masterpiece. I am loved by God. 
He says, I am made complete through the grace and mercy of Jesus, my Savior. And when I see myself the way God sees me, I walk with confidence because I trust the one who answers the question, who am I? Great, eh? Absolutely fantastic. As I was driving here, I felt the Lord remind me that we have three voices speaking into us all the time, telling us who we are. What are those three voices? God does. Satan does, and ourselves. And the trouble is we're always agreeing with two against one. And, and the, it's a natural thing to, gr- to agree with the enemy and ourselves. And the things that ourself brings, against, uh, brings to the fore usually are our mistakes and our problems. And God's not doing that. God's, the more I find out about God, I, the more I think, man, I wish I knew this 30, 40 50 years ago. Seriously. I wish I knew what I know now. Isn't that a dumb statement? <laughs> then. Just so dumb. Where everyone thinks that. But, but there's, always, there's always more that God wants us to know. We've got to know about ourselves. We've got to know about Him. And, and the more we do, the more I just go, wow, God, you are bigger, brighter, better, more intelligent, more amazing, more loving. You know, so often we've got the wrong image of God. And if we have the wrong image of God, we'll also have the wrong image of us. And and we'll have the wrong image of how life works. And God wants our life to get better and better. He seriously does. To do that, we'll have to go through stuff. We'll have to face things that are difficult and overcome in those things. But if if we do overcome in those things, our life gets brighter and larger and more influential and more fun to live. Someone once said they wanted to, when the, when the day comes for their coffin, like Morris Atkinson, he, he, this person said he wanted to slide in at the last minute and just arrive, you know, having lived every day with passion and with life. And that's what God wants. God's, God's given us a spirit that brings life and, and creates life all around us. He really does. So this is number three in a series on uh, seeking to explain who we are in Christ, which who we are in Christ is the foundation for any inner security that we might have. It's it's the foundation for courage, for confidence, for security, for purpose, for a mission in life. And if we don't know who we are in Christ, as I was saying two weeks ago, we will invent our own identity of who we actually are. And because we are... invent our own identity, it's really shaky. And we'll, we'll do it out of um, what we do can become our identity. And so we, we've got to have a certain level of career, job that other people think is cool. And then we've got to keep doing better and better and better, or it'll be in the things that we have. It'll be in our toys. It'll be in our phone. It'll be in, it'll be in our car. And as we get older, it'll be in what kind of house we have. And we're always trying to base our identity on people who think we're great if we've got this. Or, or some people, it's, it's in their race. For, for some people today, it's, it's in their sexuality. Who they are is based around their sexuality and the gender. And now we're talking about, well, can you change genders and swap genders and you don't like the gender you've got and be the other. And it's people basing their identity around something other than who they are actually in Christ. And it's really, really shaky. But the neat thing that we were looking at last week, can I just have the house lights up a little bit more, please? 
The really neat thing that we were looking at last week is that God calls us saints, and that means that our identity starts with the fact that we are actually righteous and holy. Would you say over yourself, I'm righteous and holy? And seriously, when we look at the fine print of what God has done to make us righteous and holy, how he's destroyed our old nature, and how he's given us a heavenly nature that we didn't have before, we actually find we're more righteous and holy than we think. We're like an absolutely cleaned up room who still occasionally sins. But as I finished last time, I was talking about the fact that we've got to take that still occasionally sin seriously but there is provision in Christ. Even though we've, we've forgiven past, present, and future sin, when we sin, there's, there's a, a, still a coming to God and saying, God, I've done this. I've thought this. I've said this. Thank you that you've forgiven me, but God, I just confess it out before you right now. And as we do that, you know, there's, there, there's an amazing freedom that comes over our lives. Have I got any friends here today? Am I talking the truth? We're righteous and holy. Well, I want to go on today and talk about the fact that we're actually also adopted. And um, I want to highlight three things from adoption. And, and if we can just bring up the, the scriptures here, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Actually, I was going to refresh an older sermon today because I've been at Arise, and I thought, I'll just refresh this. And, and I'll come and preach it today. And I started reading it earlier in the week, and I thought, this is dead. I'm not even excited. <laughs> I thought, how did, how did I preach this once and people not go to sleep? Maybe everyone did. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to say, okay, God, I've got to have something fresh and new from you on what adoption actually is. And so th- what I want to give you today is, is what God has given me. Um, to be saints, uh, to, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every, would you say every? every. We're going to be just discovering what every means. It means everything. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. That's a saint. Before him in love. Now, get this. Having predestined us to be adopted as sons, and you can put the word daughter in there as well, because this is, when you think, you know, for guys, um, we are called sons, and and for guys, that's a a good thing. The girls kind of go, oh, okay, and daughters, but for guys, we're also called the bride of Christ. So there's this thing that we just got to get used to. But actually, you can put it and daughters in there as well. Adopted as sons and daughters by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, adoption is actually an amazing thing, but often we can get the wrong perspective, like this next picture. And if we have the wrong perspective on adoption, we can think that adoption is kind of a less than thing, because kids are mean, aren't they, basically? 
sometimes. Kids are mean. And, and if, kids are, if you're at school and, and kids find out that you've been adopted, you will probably be teased because they say, they're trying to make you feel as if you're less than. You're not as good as the, the, the natural-born sons and daughters in a family. And, 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 you know, when we watch the programs about adoption, it's always about people feeling, well, I'm missing out. I've got to find out who my true parents were. And, and they're searching for what they've missed. And so often we can think adoption, God adopts us. Well, that's kind of a less than thing. But actually, it's the, totally the other way around. To be adopted, there's only one natural-born adopted child, uh, sorry, one natural-born child in God's family. What's his name? Jesus. Jesus. So we are actually adopted into God's family. That's not less than. That's absolutely opposite of, of less than. You know, uh, in, in Roman days, um, the, what Paul is speaking about was taken from Roman days where they did have adoption. There's no Jewish equivalent of adoption, but in Roman days they would adopt. And, and, and what would happen was that if a couple had no children and they were childless and they wanted kids but they were childless and they were very rich, sometimes they would adopt someone who was a slave and because the the, they, the uh, the man would look and see this boy uh, or young man. It was usually in the teen or even adult slaves that they were adopting in. And they, the Roman person was rich enough and they wanted his dynasty or his mini empire to continue. He would adopt a slave to be his son. And you think of it from the slave's point of view. They go from absolutely having nothing, no possibility of ever having even freedom to complete freedom with all of the wealth and all of the prestige and all of the influence of that Roman citizen. And the cool thing is, it's absolutely irreversible. The, the person would never go back to be a slave again. How many think that that slave would say, oh, that's a bit less than? How many think they'd be going... My life has changed. <laughs> it's not the same, but it's a little bit like this woman. <coughs> Megan, when she was a little kid, would have played with dolls and had dreams and things. But I'd almost guarantee that she never, ever dreamed that she would become part of the British royal aristocracy. But her life has changed. She's royalty. She's absolute royalty. Sometimes you see some pictures put on whatever you're looking at in terms of media of Megan when she was last in New Zealand. And they're saying when she comes this time, it won't be like last time. <laughs> last time was good, but this time it's royalty. Every, every red carpet that can be rolled out will be rolled out for her. We have been adopted into God's family. It's amazing. It's amazing. And what I'm, what I'm wanting to say is you, you have been adopted into royalty. Oh, if we would just believe it. What would change if you actually lived as if you were royal? That the king of kings selected you and adopted you into the family. It's, it's absolutely amazing. You know, Megan will never go into a room 
where the people don't think that every word that she says are the best words they've heard all day. And if she shakes someone's hand or gives them a hug, that will be the hug. They won't change their clothes. They'll put those clothes aside but inside a glass cabinet and they will be the clothes that they were wearing on that day. And if they get a selfie with her, it's a special moment. Your royalty, your words, your thoughts in God's eyes, he says they matter. Every person you come across in your life, every person that meets you today is meeting someone that is the best person of their day. What if we believed it? What if we actually said, man, these words are beyond understanding. I don't deserve this, but I'm going to believe it and live royal. What a change it would, t- it would make for us. When the devil comes along and he has all this accusation, 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 and you remember some dumb stuff that you've done, you go, oh, but now I'm royalty. Are you going to agree with God in the next instance like that, or are you going to agree with the devil or yourself? Yeah. You know, we've got that choice. The Bible says get renewed in your mind. I, I, I was listening to a series with Robert and the elders the other day, and, and the man was being asked, you know, this renewing of the mind thing, how long do I have to give to it? And he said, well, give at least five years. I was thinking a week, a month, a year. He said, no, give it at least five years. Renew, renew, renew until you've got a default that starts thinking royalty. Does that make sense? Your life and my life will go places because we've been adopted into God's family. The devil doesn't want us to believe it. The second thing I want to say is that adoption means that you are not a reject. Just leave the screen where it is, it's fine. Um, You know, often we think, oh yeah, I'm adopted, but I'm still the runt of the litter. You know, I don't actually deserve an upgrade into royalty, but I got it by accident. Well, this week, we've seen President Donald Trump um, make some more troubling statements. And, you know, the President of the United States of America has traditionally been given the, the, the title leader of the free world. And this week, we've seen him kowtowing down to President Putin. And there's a theory circulating about um, Trump that Putin has some highly damaging compromising evidence that he's holding over Trump to make him subservient and act the way that he appears to be acting. Now, I've got no idea whether that's true, but that sort of thought is running all over the newspapers and the internet at the moment, that that Putin's holding something that is causing Trump not to be able to say what he really, truly wants to say. And it's easy for us as Christians, you know, as we look back at our past, to feel compromised As if we can't be free to serve and lead as Christ wants us to be able to serve and to lead and to put our head up in the way that he wants us to and to be able to speak out authoritatively in the way that he wants us to. Because the devil's got some pictures back here that if we start believing that we actually are this and living like that, he might bring some of these pictures out or this information out which would totally cut the ground out from under us. It's easy to be able to think that way. The devil's got some stuff that God doesn't know about. Why would we think that? <laughs> One of the preachers at, at the uh, conference over the weekend, he said, you know, he said God started the first um, 
uh, hide and seek. Adam, where are you? <laughs> and we're still the same. We're still thinking there's some stuff hidden back here that if God found out about it, it would totally, we'd be unroyaled. We'd be unadopted because we're scared about this back here. But God forgave it all on a cross over 2,000 years ago. He knows about every single thing. And the devil's still playing this card and we're still going, oh, beaten. You know, it's so easy. I remember when I was in Form 2, I went to a brand new intermediate and they had brand new everything. And one of the things that they had was a new, brand new sports gear and there was a softball glove. And I thought stupidly, I'd love that softball glove. So I stole it. And it was a mitt softball glove. It was a real big one. I'd never seen anything like it before. And from the moment I stole it, it was, I just realized how dumb doing that sort of thing is. There was nowhere I could use it. There was nowhere I could play with it. And, and within a week, um, they were at assembly times. We were all brought in. There's some gear missing. There's a softball glove missing. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm just going to be sprung. No, it's... I buried it under, <laughs> under a wood pile, pile of wood in, in the garage. And weeks and weeks and weeks later, I thought, well, I should at least use it. And I got it out, and, and with a friend, we were throwing in my backyard, and, and it was a real hidden sort of slot area where we could throw. And I was doing this, and I looked across to my neighbor's kitchen window, just meters away, and there's a teacher from my intermediate school staring and so the next assemblies I'm sitting there kind of oh, no, no. I'm not a Christian anything like this I'm just a stupid boy and 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 I thought so I don't know what I do with it I think I just completely destroyed it um, I was never found out but I did discover that the gentleman who lived next door to us was the father of one of the teachers in our school when I got saved I, I, God reminded me of this, and, and, and you know, you, you need to make restitution. I felt to make restitution, so I approached the school, and I wrote to them, and I sent them a check that was well of, above what the glove cost, and I, I confessed to it, and I wrote my name and signed it and gave it back. But, you know, we've all got things from kid's age through to older age where we've got this, these things in our, in our past that we think... Man, if that comes to light, it's just going to absolutely blow it up. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be sexual immorality. It might be homosexuality. It could be theft. It could be embezzlement. It could be gossip. It could be slander where you've just literally cut someone to, to, to pieces. It could be pride. You could be sitting here today with a prison background and, and just hiding that thing. You, it could be manslaughter where you killed someone like my father did. And, and these things can just happen in, in, in life that are there, and they become these prison moments that, we're, that hold us back from actually believing that we could be upgraded to royalty. Oh, I can't actually live like that. I better live more like a pauper so that if that ever comes out, it won't be such a big fall. But we're talking about God. He knows every single thing about us. 
And these verses actually tell us that adoption is not plan B. God didn't have one perfect plan, and eventually, because man messed up so much, he had to make plan B of how to rescue man. Adoption and the whole thing was plan A. The, the, pl the plan was always creation, fall of humankind. Jesus having to come and redeem people and God adopting those human beings to himself. That was always plan A, always plan A. He didn't even start the process until he'd actually thought everything through. This would cost Jesus Christ his life on a torturous cross. Jesus says, yes, I'm prepared to do it because I love humanity. I love those individual humans, but I love all of them as well that much. Okay, press go. We're, on, we're up for this. The lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world is what the scripture says. There was a huge cost. And friends, if the cost was the death of Jesus himself, how valuable are you? The value has to be greater for someone to pay a cost. How valuable are you? You're priceless. There is no way any monetary amount could be put on your life for how much God favors you and loves you and wants you. You're priceless. What would happen if we believed it? How would we live at a different plane, at a different level, if we actually believed what God tells us in his word about us? So reject what the enemy says to you when you wake up tomorrow. You are of priceless value and tell it to him over and over. Tell it to your own heart till you start to believe it too. The third thing that we can have as a wrong perspective is that, well, I got adopted, but I got adopted in a bunch. You know, it's this rejection thing again. I'm not going to, this is very Kiwi, I'm not going to be at the front. I got adopted, but I was the runt of the litter. I was the ugly one. I was the one that will never amount to much. I'm adopted, but I'm only just adopted. You know, still less than. Well, in the Old Testament, God did adopt a bunch. Adoptions mentioned three times in the Old Testament. Moses was adopted into, into his Egyptian family. But the, one of the, the second one is that God adopted the whole nation of Israel. He says it once, I adopted you as a whole nation. But in the New Testament, it's not adoption as a bunch. It's adoption as if each individual person because it's based on the Roman thing where a, a rich family wants to adopt one person to, be, to carry on the lineage that's there. It's personal. It's individual. And God links adoption with predestination. Now, predestination means that God chooses, in a very simple way of, of saying it, he's predetermined certain things to actually happen, and he's predestined adoption that he thought about it and he chose you personally. But one of the reasons that the doctrine of adoption is not often wrote, written about or spoken about is that it's linked to predestination. And John Calvin was a, a, a pastor, a, 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 a very influential person, probably in the 1700s, and, and he had a very, very extreme view of what predestination means. So when, he, when it says predestination to adoption... 
He thought it meant that God predestined some people to get saved and some other people to not get saved. That people are chosen before they even get born, Calvin thought, that some won't get saved. No matter what they do, no matter how they live, no matter anything, they're just not chosen by God for heaven, he taught. Where others, almost no matter what they do, they can't do anything because everything's God's sovereignty and he's selected that person and at the right time he'll save them. It's very similar to what some Jews thought about Gentiles. Some rabbis actually taught that Gentiles were only born, that's, that's non-Jews, that's ev- pretty much every one of us, were only ever born to be the fuel for the fires of hell. And God's love only rested on the Jewish people. And they were absolutely wrong. Just as Calvin is absolutely wrong. There's so many other scriptures. God, God is uh, not wanting any to not be saved, the scripture says. Not that he chose some would get saved and some didn't get saved. So, so how do you explain? Predestination definitely happens. God definitely predestines. So how do you explain what predestination might be? Well, can I have... Um, you guys, in these first couple of rows, just, just come out if you would, and, and just form a line here. Is it Nairi, Anna as well? Yeah, back to row. Now, just form a line towards me. Just. Okay, now you're running in life. You don't have to run, but that's what, what we're picturing here, is, is that we're running in life. And, and predest- because God lives outside of time, and, and if you think of time as, as linear, um, with a start and a finish, God's like a big U. He lives outside of time. Eternity is like a big U, which touches time. So he can see the beginning, and he can see the end at the same time. And that means God comes along. I think this is what predestination means. God comes along and stands at the end of time and knows exactly whether this person will choose him or whether this person will choose him. Or whether this person will decide, I, don't, I know about God, but I don't want anything to do with him. I'm living my own life and going my own way. And, and this person will choose him. And he knows that this person will choose him. And he knows that this person... <laughs> just for illustration point. Doesn't want anything to do with God and wants to live their own way and will go that way. And all the rest will choose him. So would everyone who chooses him just step one pace over and everyone who just doesn't choose him just step one pace to the other way? And I think God's standing from knowing how people will respond to him before they've even been born, says, I choose this lot. Predestination. Can I have you just as a group in here? The neat thing is, is that God looks at a whole group. Just, just come in as a little bit closer. I, I want to move in, in, in with you. So you can stand two or three thick. That's all right. And God, God chooses. He knows who's, who's, who's going to choose him and chooses them. But then God chooses. He doesn't go, oh, group. I choose a lot of you. He goes, hmm, hmm. You, I choose you. And then he comes around and he goes, you, I choose you. 
And then he comes around here and he goes past and he goes, you, Linda, I choose you. And he does that individually to every single one of us. None of us are the runt of the litter. None of us are the one who just got there, but we don't really deserve to be there. Because that rejection thing is so strong in us as people. But the Bible says he chose us to be adopted. And he went through the crowd to get the one, but he kept going through the whole crowd to get everyone, one person at a time. Thank you, guys. Feel free to take a seat. Or back to where you, where you uh, were. So you see, what I'm saying is, you absolutely matter. You are absolutely chosen. You are worth a, a, a price that is priceless. Absolutely priceless. And you are chosen individually by God. God is much, much better than we thought he is. You know, when I got saved, my impression of God was that he was judge. This was 1972. But as I've walked with him, I've realized, yes, he will judge one day, but he is the most loving, forgiving, gracious, empowering, personal, God that you could ever, ever find. He's better than any mental picture we've developed of what he's like. The more we dig into the Bible and discover what it actually says, we find a God whose heart is beating for you and for me. That's our God. And this God not only chooses us individually, but he pours out upon us the Holy Spirit with, with can I have the, um, can I have the uh, next scripture up? He pours out the Holy Spirit with a spirit of adoption that causes us to say, Dad, Dad, Abba. This was how Jesus actually prayed to, to the Father. You go back through the Old Testament, nobody prayed Daddy. Nobody prayed Daddy over God. But Jesus, Jesus prayed this, and then gave that as a term for us to be able to do too. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and he puts love for the Father into us so that we have this growing relationship with him. And one of the reasons that in theology not much has been written about adoption outside of revival times is because outside of revival times, we tend to go academic. And it's all about the knowledge here. But in revival times where God's spirit starts to fall on people, fall on meetings, touching a city for a period of time, touching a church for a period of time, he goes straight to the heart. And people have this Holy Spirit experience of God as daddy. God as daddy. And that's what actually takes place. It's the Holy Spirit comes and, and he brings the spirit of adoption upon us so that we know, hey, I'm a son and a daughter. And we experience God. I remember when I first experienced God was when I got saved. And, and the, the, the power of God came, came upon me. And, and I just cried and cried and cried. And then after quite a period of time, it changed over to laughter and the and the. the presence of God and the joy of God's, God's spirit upon me was this. I became a son. 
And, and what I've found is that as I've gone on, I was 16 years of age then, and as I've gone on, there have been times when doubt has come and difficult circumstances have come to my life. And it's like climbing a ladder. I'm climbing it. And when trouble comes, I slide down the ladder to the last time God actually experienced his touch. And because it's so real, and so it was so powerful that each time that the Spirit of God comes and He touches and does something within, I can't slide any further. I go, God, I don't understand the circumstances right at the present time, but I know you're real. You touched me on that day. I can remember everything about it. I know that you, I'm your son. And so, God, I'm not going any further down. I'm going to start rebuilding and climbing back up again. And God wants that for every single one of us. Now, we have not in New Zealand lived in a time of revival. We haven't, haven't seen that actually open up. But what we have seen is times of refreshing come where the Holy Spirit has moved across the nation. We've seen the charismatic move back in my generation in the 80s. We've seen John Wimber come and, and the power and the presence of God pour out upon meetings. We've seen the Toronto blessing come across the church. We've seen the hammer times of, of the Holy Spirit over the last decade. And in, in that same season, there has been just an explosion of praise and worship across the globe. A lot of it coming out of Hillsong, led by a Kiwi pastor. Come on, you guys. A Kiwi pastor. Isn't there anyone who's going to stand up and go, yay, go Kiwis? Yeah. Come on, this is a Kiwi pastor that God is using across the globe. Is there no one that will do that? Is there no one here that's excited that a Kiwi pastor has had the privilege of, of leading something wonderful in the world? Is there anyone here that wants to stand up and say yes to Kiwis? Do it again, God. In fact, do it in our generation and do it in some of these young people's lives. Let them be like that. Brian was a rat bag. He used to, when his dad was preaching, go up into the church, the roof of the church, and drop things down on the congregant, the <laughs> congregation as a kid when his dad was preaching. And now he's leading a global movement across, across that God has just put his blessing upon. And you know what? What we found is that as people position themselves and, and the hunger in their heart is, God, I want to know you deeper and stronger God will pour this a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father, into us. And most people in this room have had these kind of experiences. And if you haven't had this kind of experience, God's not a respecter of persons. He, he's not wanting to miss you out. Just keep positioning yourself and you will have it. I remember uh, once hearing a, a guy tell me he was, he was just really needing a touch from God. He went to church. He closed his eyes. He began to worship. And then in his mind, in his in his imagination, if you like, in his, inside his head, he saw the roof, a shaft of light just begin to come through the roof, and this shaft of vivid white light just came down in the whole meeting and just touched on top of him, and the love of God was just poured out upon him, and his dryness changed to just an overflow of God's blessing and God's love. I've heard other people say that they've really needed a hug, and, and God has just somehow, in, in some praise and worship or in their own room or something where they're just seeking after God, God has just wrapped his arms around them and just hugged them and let them know that everything is okay. It's the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy, you love me, you're here, you're present, you're now. And he wants that for all of us. It's when it goes from here 
and, and it's really coming out of here. God, God, more than God, God. Does that make sense? Can I have the band come? This is the God that we serve. You know, can, I, can you put up some things here, the next ones? <clears throat> These are the sort of things that people say to themselves. Ah, oh, you klutz. You're useless. You're just a sinner. You're a reject. You're a loser. You're unattractive. You're a hopeless case. You're a failure. If you don't say it to yourself, the devil does. He tries to get everyone to live under this. Look what God says. You're loved. I chose you. You're beautiful. You're personally selected for greatness. You're special. You're gifted. You're righteous. You are actually righteous at your very core. You're holy. You're popular. Do you want to just say these things with me? I'm put, put, I'm... In fact, why don't we just, instead of you, me doing, you doing it with me, why don't we just stand together right now? And I just want you to ignore the people that are around you. And I want you to take a moment or two and claim every single one of those things and just declare every single one of those things over your life. Just speak it out loud so at least you can hear your words coming back in through your ears and going down into your heart. That this is how God sees you and this is how God wants you to see yourself. Can we do that? Off you go. Thank you, Lord. Lord. bind those negative words that are just speaking death over us the cluts, the failure the hopeless the always getting into trouble sort of thoughts and words that we so easily let come let slip from our lips Lord and we determine Lord we're going to speak out and believe to the best of our ability Lord we're going to keep believing until it becomes true for us Lord, it may be a fact that this happened, but the truth is we're righteous and we're holy. Lord, it may be a fact that we said the wrong thing in that situation, but the truth is that out of our mouth can come blessing that will lift people up and will encourage. And we can say things that will be kingdom things and not things that will bring death. Lord, would you just cause us to grasp as we go through week by week, looking at who we are in Christ. Let it get down into our heart and our spirit make the difference that you want it to, for we ask it in Jesus' name.